We're thinking this evening about uh, wisdom and guidance. How do we know what to do in life? How do we find God's will? Uh, in our first week, we thought about God's goal for our lives. And we saw that God's goal is that we should glorify Him by knowing Him, becoming like Him, witnessing to Him, and serving and connecting in with His people, His church. So that's God's goal. So how do we know what God wants us to do for our lives? Here is what God has given us as a goal. And then we thought about how God has revealed things to us in His Word. And we thought about His Word, how it is authoritative, how it is infallible, how it is sufficient, how it is complete. It is what God has revealed to us. And we read in Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the things revealed, the hidden things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children after us, that we might do them. So whenever we think of guidance, we focus particularly on the things revealed. And our question then is, how does God reveal things to us? And we, we thought last time about whether or not we should expect God to reveal more to us in addition to his word. But we were reminded that if his word is authoritative and infallible and sufficient and complete, then God is not going to reveal more to us. He has not promised to do so. Um, and we did recognize, though, that what God may do or can do is different from what he has promised to do. And I came across a quote from Kevin DeYoung that that sums this up well. So that we, we aren't putting a shackle on God that we shouldn't put on Him. We saw that the great reformers have still allowed that in very extraordinary times and unusual circumstances, God may reveal some facts to people that they could not otherwise have known. And Kevin DeYoung says, we need to affirm on the one hand that God can still give visions or speak in extraordinary ways, though never in ways that add to or contradict the Scriptures. But on the other hand, we must recognize that these ways are rare and not to be sought out. Not to be sought out. That's one of the things that the Reformers were very clear on. Not to be sought out as God's usual means of guiding His people. So how do we find God's guidance? Well, let's uh, consider briefly, just still by way of introduction, how we're not to do it. We could spend a whole evening on this, but we'll, we'll try not to. Well, obviously, from what I've just said, sort of expecting God to speak audibly to us. Uh, Lord, what should I do? Uh, and waiting for him to speak uh, is not how we're to seek guidance. Well, if God's word is sufficient that the man and the woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work, should we just open it at random and take whatever verses come to us? Well, there's God's guidance for us. Well, that would be littered with all sorts of pitfalls, uh, like the man who wanted to know what to do, and he opened his Bible at random, and it said, Judas went out and hung himself. Thought, I oh, don't like the sound of that. So he tried again, 
found another verse that said, go thou and do likewise. So, not perhaps the safest uh, option. It, it's actually treating God's word like a fortune cookie, rather than, or a horoscope, rather than the intelligent word of the living God. Um, sometimes Christians talk about putting out a fleece. This comes from Judges chapter 6 and verse 36 to the end, where Gideon is told by God that he is to attack the Midianites and that God will give him the victory. And Gideon, rather than obeying the clear command of God, backed by the promise of God, he says, O oh Lord, uh, I'm going to lay out a test. And he doubles the test. He takes a fleece and he says, Lord, if it's, if it's from you, then let this fleece be dry and the ground all around it be wet in the morning. And that happened. And then, despite there being clear instruction, clear command, and a miraculous event, Gideon went for it again and said, Now, I'm really not sure, Lord. Can we have it the other way around? The fleece wet and the ground dry. Uh, and despite the fact that Gideon is clearly not seeking guidance, it's been told to him what he's to do. And in fact, he's delaying obedience. Some people still speak of putting out a fleece. But mostly they don't mean a miraculous event the way Gideon did. So they're not doing what Gideon did at all. Um, what they'll say is something maybe like, uh, Lord, if so-and-so rings before nine o'clock uh, this evening, well, I'll know that I'm to go out with them. You know, um, it's not quite a fleece, is it? In the same way that Gideon did it. And then whenever we look at what Gideon did, we find out he shouldn't have done it. Uh, so this idea of putting out a fleece is not a biblical way to seek guidance. Sometimes people talk about open doors. Uh, not every open door is a safe door. You imagine a man who is uh, running through a building uh, trying to escape and he's trying doors are all locked and then he opens one door and it opens. He says, it's an open door, I should jump through it but it's four stories up um, and uh, it would have been better not going through the open door. Open doors just mean that's an open door. There's an opportunity there. It doesn't mean that we should take it. What about um, a view on guidance that says that, well, we must seek God's will for absolutely everything we do. Right down to the, the very practical matters of what we have for breakfast uh, and what we eat for dinner because God has ordained what we should do. And, and some people take that sort of a view that, that everything has to be carefully weighed up. Whether they go as far as, as praying about their breakfast and what to eat, I'm not quite sure, but um, people can take it too far and believe, as we saw in our, our first weeks, that that God has a center to his will that we have got to hit like it's the target of a bullseye and a very, very small one. That. There's only one point that we are to hit. And we've seen that, no, that is not the case. Others believe that if there's something that they wouldn't like to do, that's probably the thing that God wants them to do. And so they have a martyr complex. Uh, and... Um, 
it's supposed to be humorous. You can imagine a, a young fella and there, there's two, two, two girls that uh, are both interested in him, one of whom he has no interest in one, uh, and who really winds him up and really makes it hard for him to be patient. And he thinks, well, and the other one really adds to his Bible knowledge and really helps him grow as a Christian. He thinks, well, God always wants us to suffer. And so I, I need to take the harder path here uh, and I need to do this. And, and some, I'm being, that's tongue in cheek by way of example, but some, sometimes people make their decisions by way of being the martyr and taking the hard option. And they, they, they view that as a way that God guides them. Surely there are better ways than this. How are we to make our decisions? Well, we need to understand the different categories that there are. And this is not complicated. There are three categories of decision that you have to make in life, and only three. There are right-wrong decisions. It's either right or wrong. And that's really straightforward because God's Word tells us what's right and what's wrong. And then there's the more complicated category of wise and foolish decisions. This is the category that once we've eradicated everything that's sinful, that still leaves us with a lot of options. But some of them are wise and some of them are foolish. Um, a man could work as a doctor uh, and he could work as a plumber. But God has given him excellent gifts to be a doctor, an incredible mind, wonderful, skillful hands, and the opportunity uh, to pursue those studies. It would be wise for him to consider the gifts that God has given him. It would be foolish to squander gifts. So there's right, wrong, wise, foolish, and then the third category, Christian freedom. Christian freedom. And that's an important category for us to remember. So I should have brought a sheet of paper. So if we were to draw this, there's a great big circle. And it's all the things that are right and wrong. And, and we draw a circle. And, and it includes the things that are right. And inside the circle of all the things that are right, there's a smaller circle, like a target on a board. And that smaller circle of things that are right and that are wise. They're not foolish. But inside that, there's another circle, and it's quite big too in many cases. It's not a tiny little point where people talk about the center of God's will. It's a circle. Because there are many times in life when we've eliminated the things that are sinful, and we've narrowed down the things that are foolish, there's still four, five, six, ten, two, three options, whatever number. And there's freedom. There's freedom. Or some of the decisions we make are utterly inconsequential and there's freedom. Do you wear red socks or blue socks? Freedom. Freedom. One way I've thought of, of illustrating this, you go, to, you go to the beach and there's the whole length of the beach and you want to go for a swim. And you look at the whole length of the beach and you think, I could swim anywhere here. But there are two flags out. There's these flags and they have red and yellow stripes on them. And those flags mark out where the lifeguard has said it is safe to swim between these two points. So there's an area that you're not to swim in. It's wrong to swim there. Inside the flags is the right place. 
But then you've got to ask, what's wise for me to do? The person who is a very strong swimmer might say, well, I'll swim between the flags, but I can go far out into the sea. And the person who's a weaker swimmer would say, well, I'll stay between the flags, but I'll only swim around the shore where I can stand. And the person who says, well, I can't swim, I'll stay between the flags and just paddle at the edge of the shore. Those are wise decisions. It would be foolish for a person to say, oh, I can, we're allowed to swim between the flags. I can't swim very well, but I'm going to go way far out. That would be foolish. So we swim between the flags. That's wise. We swim according to our abilities. Sorry, we, we swim between the flags. That's right. We swim according to our abilities. That's wise. Do you wear red trunks or blue trunks? Who cares? You have freedom. Freedom to wear whatever trunks you like. So, right, wrong, wise, foolish, and freedom. Now, how, how do we go about making decisions? Well, there, there's four uh, factors to consider, and they, they fit with these. First of all, obey God's commands. Obey God's commands. In James 1.22 we read, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In James 4.17 we read, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So there's many areas of life where God's word is crystal clear. Don't don't kill. Don't commit murder. Uh, Don't marry a person who isn't a Christian. Don't tell lies. So if something is right or something is wrong, there is no need to ask God for guidance. He's made it clear. He's spoken clearly. We're not to be a Gideon. Laura, could you just repeat that for me so that I can be sure that you really don't want me to do this? No, it's there in black and white. And we're too bad. So we don't come and say, don't come and say to the elders, well, I know God says this, but I feel I should do that. Or I really believe God wants me to do this. No, 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 I don't care what you really believe. We don't care what you feel. God's word says. You say, well, well, I know God wants me to be happy. No, that's Bobby McFerrin. Um, don't worry, be happy. God says, be holy. God wants us to be holy. So obey God's commands. And even as we think of the commands, we might think, well, there are only ten commandments, and yes, there's other commands in the Bible, but those commands, as we've looked at before, those commands... And the Ten Commandments cover a whole wealth of things that can be derived from them. The implications of the commandments. Ah, so to look after our own lives and the lives of others is included in the commandment, thou shalt not murder. So we should drive safely. We should drive within the speed limit. We should drive within our capabilities. That's all part of that commandment. We're to obey God's commands. Someone might say, well, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that I'm to drive at 50 kilometers an hour. But no, it says that A, you're to obey the the governing authorities, and B, that you are to not take somebody else's life. So, those two things come together. Obey God's commands. Now, I just want to say a couple of things 
extra about this. Sometimes, on rare occasion, two commandments appear to collide. They appear to collide. So, for example, let's imagine a scenario where somebody is facing severe domestic abuse. And they know that the Bible says that God hates divorce. And the divorce is wrong. And they think, well, therefore I must have to stay in these circumstances and take a beating. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, the sixth commandment comes before the seventh commandment. And the seventh commandment is about the protection of marriage. And the sixth commandment is about the protection of life. The person is to get safe. To get safe. And so, we, yes, we obey God's commands. But we need to make sure that we are holding the commands together. Um, sometimes the mess of life means that although a command is clear, sometimes the application of it is not as clear. When somebody's lived much of life and they, they aren't a Christian, uh, and then they become a Christian, and, and they're trying to figure out what they do, um, and sometimes it can be difficult. Somebody who has lived with their partner for 40 years becomes a Christian. Well, what do they do? They've had children together. They've had family. Should they then say, well, I'm not to marry somebody who's not a Christian? I should separate from them. Uh, well, that's the, the command is that a Christian shouldn't marry a non-Christian, but the reality is that this couple have been living as a married couple for 40 years. And it is not that they are getting married, they are simply putting things right before God, you see. So we do need a little bit of uh, wisdom as we, as we consider the commands, but by and large, as we consider obeying God's commands, as we are moving along as ourselves as Christians in the pathway of holiness for ourselves, obeying God's commands is crystal clear. Obey God's commands. Second, seek God's wisdom. Seek God's wisdom. We read from Proverbs 2 that we are to seek it as someone searches for hidden treasure, to look for it as silver, that we are to apply ourselves to this. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And, and so we are to, and the, the chapter started off with storing up the writer's commands within us and searching out wisdom. Here's taking in God's word, meditating on it, chewing it over, and working out how it applies to our lives. Proverbs 4, uh, 5 to 7. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Wisdom is knowledge applied. And the Bible is full of wisdom literature to help us know how to live. How do we get wisdom? How do we, how do we make wise choices as we're thinking about guidance? Well, let me mention a number of things that we should do 
or seek God's wisdom. That's the big heading. And then the, the, the minor headings. First of all, remember God's word. Or sorry, remember God's goals. Remember God's goals. We're to glorify Him. We're to know Him. We're to grow like Him. We're to witness to Him. We're to connect and to serve with His church. So, we come to make a decision. We're wondering, this option or this option? Which is the best one for me? Well, will this option help me glorify God more than this option? Will this option help me grow in Christ-likeness more than this option? Will this option give me opportunity to serve and to attend the local church? Someone could get a job offer in a place where there is no church. Would it be wise for them to take that job up? Well, no, because God's goal is that they can connect and serve his church. So there's a wise decision, a foolish decision. We say, well, there's no church here for miles around, but I will go. What's going to happen? Like a, a branch that has been severed from a plant, it's going to start to wither and shrivel. So remember God's goals. Remember God's goals. These uh, are the things revealed. Pursue them, the goals. Use them to assess our choices. Secondly, mine God's word. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Psalm 119, verse 105. It makes me wiser than my foes, the psalmist said in verse 98. Why did he do that? Because he meditated on it all day long. He meditated, he mined it for wisdom. Wisdom comes as we see that there are various factors in an issue. And God's word speaks to the various factors. And this bit of the Bible says this and adds to it. And this bit says this about that. And we piece these things together and we go, oh, there's the, the better decision. We should take the Psalms. They're wisdom literature. Proverbs is wisdom literature. James is wisdom literature. The Gospels, as we see Jesus dealing with people, that's wisdom. And we should mine them for all they're worth. Um, and we get really wise and helpful principles as well in Paul's letters. Let me just highlight um, two of them for you um, as some rules for wise decision making. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12. I have the right to do anything. It's a quote from the Corinthians. Paul said, I have the right to, you say that, but not everything is beneficial. Is this good for me? I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Is this choice going to master me? We all have different temperaments. Somebody could take up some hobby and become utterly mastered by it so that it saps all their time and their energy and they have lost their interest in their walk with God. Or it could be, uh, it could be food. It could be anything. Um, and it masters us. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23 and 24. There, there's another couple of these. Paul repeats the first one. I have a right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. And then he says it again, I have the right to do anything, 
you say, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Wisdom. Wisdom. How is this going to not just impact me? Am I mastered by this? But am I going to lead another believer astray by doing this? Wisdom. Mind God's word. Thirdly, so remember God's goals. Mind God's word. Ask God's people. Thinking to yourself, well, hold on a minute. I can't make a decision until I've mined God's word. That's going to take a long time. So I've got to backlog all my decisions. Uh, that can't be. We don't have to put them off because God has his people placed around us in his church. And we can go to them and ask them. Not simply, what do you think I should do? But what do you think from the Bible that I should do? What, how have you made these sorts of decisions before? Pick their brains. See how God has led them. In fact, pick their brains on all sorts of, of issues. Not even about live decisions of yours, but isn't it good to hear how a Christian was led, in, uh, Professor McCollum was led into the ministry. Oh, that's how God guided him. Oh, really helpful to hear that. Another Christian being uh, explaining how God guided them to do something else. It's helpful. So, ask God's people. But you need to know that there is a time to stop asking and get on with it. Um, I have met Christians who keep asking. And they keep asking for one of two reasons. Either because they don't want to get on with doing it. Or B, they haven't heard somebody say the thing that they really want to hear. And they keep asking and asking and asking. And then they find one. But every other Christian has said, no, don't do that. And then they find one who goes, oh, I think that'll be good. Oh, God has led me, they say then, <laughs> to do this thing. Despite the fact that everybody else has said, no, I found one. Didn't ask them too much which part of the Bible, but I just asked them what they felt. No, there's a time to stop asking and just to get on with doing what God calls you to do. So, remember God's goals, mind God's word, ask God's people. And a fourth one, consider God's providence. Consider God's providence. We're, we're moving from things that are really clear to things that are harder to interpret. We've got to be careful with people's opinion that they are rooted in the Bible. Even more care is needed when we consider God's providence. We know that God is always leading us. He says in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you. All our days are written in his book before one of them came to be, Psalm 139. God is sovereign and he's constructing our lives and he brings circumstances into play in our lives. So that means that we're surrounded by factors that can play a part. But sometimes it's really hard to know what part they play. Consider a church that has been thinking about rebuilding or repairing. What do they do? And then one night the church is struck by lightning. But only the roof is burnt. 
and the remaining shell of the building's intact and they have a congregational meeting and one set of the congregation say, this is guidance to repair. If God had wanted us to rebuild from scratch, he would have demolished the whole church. The other people say, no, it's guidance that we're to rebuild because you don't just have a, this leftover bit. You have, you, you, God has told us that we're to rebuild everything from scratch. He's given us a clue by demolishing the roof. And then you have a third set of people say, no, no, the church is under God's judgment. That's what it means that we've been struck by lightning. You're trying to read God's providence. Very hard. But consider our circumstances in Milford. As we tried one door after another, as we tried one option after another, nothing seemed to be coming about. And then in God's providence, a developer starts to reopen or open up a set of units and Ivan and Irene happen to meet him. And he is keen to have the church. It's the only option that we had. And God, we believe, was guiding us by his providence. But if that was, we didn't just say, well, this is it. Um, and there were lots of other things we could have done, but this, this happened providentially and they happened to bump into him and that's definitely the right answer. No, all the other options that had been exhausted. And this door was the one that was open for us. So we consider God's providence very carefully. Think about it on a personal level. Somebody uh, is seeking guidance about the future. They're, they're not quite in the job that they want, but it is a good job, and uh, in, a, in a world where it's hard to get jobs, they've got a job, and this job gives them time to serve the church. It's not quite ideal, but in God's providence, they, they have it, and perhaps it's one that they should hang on to rather than walking away from God's providence. Everything should be weighed up. We notice, as we look at Paul, actually, that Paul talks about open doors. In 1 Corinthians, at the end of his letter, he says that he is going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has been opened for me. That's the end of the first letter. The beginning of the second letter, he says, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me there, I had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I said goodbye. Well, he had an open door. Should he have stayed? He weighed up all things. He didn't just take God's providence or the, the circumstance of an open door as being an absolute certainty that this is what he must do. An open door is simply, biblically speaking, an opportunity, not an imperative, not a command. It's an opportunity to be evaluated under the category, right or wrong, wise or foolish. So, obey God's command, seek God's wisdom. We've uh, two more things to briefly notice as we finish. Enjoy God's generosity. Enjoy God's generosity. When you've weighed it all up and you've dismissed sin and you've discounted foolishness and there are still several options left, what should we do? Should we be super spiritual and 
pray ourselves into a, a position where we now know this is the one thing that God wants. I am the center of his will. No. Don't believe that's how God operates. What should you do? Enjoy God's generosity. He has left you with a range of options. He's like a father who holds out a set of, of lollies to his children. He says, pick one. And his daughter picks the green one. And he goes, ah, you're wrong. You should have picked the red one and you can't have any of them now. What sort of a father? You're not in the center of my will. What sort of a father does? Father genuinely holds out the options. He says, pick one. And he's delighted. As the daughter picks one and trusts him. And our father is not a stingy father. He's abounding in love. And, he, and you see, this promotes freedom from anxiety. Not always where, am I doing the right thing? If it's, if it's in that big circle of what's right, if it's inside the circle of what's wise, and it's not foolish, it's inside that circle, we've still options. Pick one. Pick one. Because our God is a generous God. And that helps us with decision paralysis. Pick the one you like. Pick the one that... It may be that at that point, after everything else, you've got a hunch. You think, hey, this one here, I think this one. That's okay. Enjoy God's generosity. Remember, God is more into who you are rather than whatever role you're doing. You know, well, is it this job or that job to take up this? Everything else is equal. All the wise and foolish things, we've weighed them all up. Everything's equal. Well, what is it? Does God want me here or here? Well, with all due reverence, I don't think God particularly cares whether it's here or here. It's what you're like here. Am I godly? Am I Christ-like? Am I faithful? Am I involved in the church? Am I witnessing for my Savior here? That's the thing. Enjoy God's freedom, and then, and then finally, trust God's sovereignty. Trust God's sovereignty. Pro Professor Leakey had this little phrase that I, I heard from David McCulloch. Pray for guidance, make your decision, and believe that God guided. There you go. Pray for guidance, make your decision, and believe that God guided. Trust Him. You've made your decision within His parameters. Trust Him. Remember the big things that God is most, as it were, interested in in developing in us. Godliness. Obey Him. Wisdom. Be wise. But what else is He looking to develop in us? Trust. Trust. What does trust need? Trust needs us to not know everything. Trust means that we take a decision based on the limited information that we've got as we've sought to be the best stewards of it to make us a wise and a biblical decision and then we trust God. We can't see it all mapped out in front of us. Those things are hidden but we trust God with it and that's the point. That's the whole point. Trust God. Re to trust God requires the unknown. To grow in trust requires going forward when we don't have all the answers when we don't have the route map but we've got the compass but we know him 
who is in charge. And so the key thing is to go forward. Make your decision. Pray for wisdom. Pray for guidance. Make your decision and trust him to work it out. Kevin DeYoung, in his little book on guidance, says, If you are seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, you will be in God's will. So just go out and do something. If you're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, you will be in God's will. So just go out and do something. Love him, seek his kingdom, trust him. Amen. If you're able, let's stand as we come to God in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for how you work with us. And we thank you that your, your ways actually help us to grow as Christians. We thank you that you don't spoon feed us. We thank you that you make us mine your word so that we grow in understanding it, so that we get excited with the connections that we see, so that we learn wisdom and grow in it. Father, thank you that you don't tell us everything. On one level, we, we wish not to thank you for that. We would far rather thank you that you did tell us everything. But Lord, at another level, we thank you because it helps us to trust you. And whenever we face hard and difficult circumstances that, that blindside us in life, the, the storms that hit us, we thank you that you have been developing the muscle of trust in a thousand other ways so that whenever we're swept over by a wave of circumstance, the, the, the muscles of trust kick into action because they've been used elsewhere as well. And so, Lord God, we thank you that you, you are so wise and you are so good. And so help us to make wise decisions, godly decisions. Guide us and lead us in the path that we should go so that we will bring honor and glory to you. But help us to enjoy too the certainty of your generosity, the absoluteness of your love for your children, and the power of your sovereignty. We thank you that we do not have a powerless father. We thank you that we don't need to worry. We thank you that you are perfectly capable of controlling all the circumstances around us as we seek to make wise and godly decisions. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.